Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For they will see God. For they will see God. To be pure, what does that really mean? Do I need special water to get my hands clean? Well, I'm a man. I've done good things. You know, I can't be doing anything wrong. I haven't killed anybody, and that is a good thing. I get paid every month, give money to the poor. You know, I try my best to abide to the law. Call me a church boy. I go to church every week. But raising my hands, nah, that just makes me feel weak. But, you know, God is really good. I'm getting to know him. I'm trying to be like him, but it's really hard to reach him. Well, how can you tell me that I can't see God? Because I've done all the Ten Commandments, and one of them I haven't lost. Sometimes I try my best to listen to the, preach, the message of the preacher, but then I'm drawn away by the beauty of a sister. <laughs> but wait, that's not my fault. I'll be telling you a lie if I told you she wasn't beautiful. But I haven't hit or smacked a kid with an iron rod. So still, how can you tell me that I can't see God? If God had a concert and a long queue, I'd have my VIP ticket, skip that, and just pass through. I'd be like Moses when God split the Red Sea in two. Whilst everyone's behind me, I have the best view. I think I'm able and worthy to see God. If God is everywhere, it can't be that hard. Jesus said, blessed are those pure in heart, for they will see God. Yeah, for they will see God. Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Yes, for they will see God. To be pure, what does that really mean? That I need special water to get my hands clean? This pure mind thing is really bugging my mind. I keep hearing this Bible verse so many times. I know I'm not perfect, but I've done some good. I haven't killed anybody, and that should be good. But if I want to be true, it's really hard to see that everything in life, it can be a bit grimy. But I haven't killed anyone's husband like David did. I don't want to go down that lane because that was really dim. But now I'm in prison. Yeah, I did something stupid. But I didn't really want to do it because I had a second chance to avoid it. But I got a Bible in prison given by a chaplain. I didn't have anything to read, so I thought to just take it in. Reading through the scriptures, I couldn't believe it. There's a lot of bad people that are written in this. Even Paul, he said he's the worst sinners of all sinners. Yet he was a great apostle after converting from killing Christians. Then finally, I start to read about Jesus. I can't believe it. I'm reading about his life, his teachings. His name is more than just a hymn. His death and resurrection. Whoa, is he the risen king? He didn't commit any sin, but yet he became sin for you and I so that we can escape from suffering the wages of sin. I thought my good works would outweigh my bad deeds, but with God, it doesn't work like that. This is really bad indeed. I'm guilty of the Ten Commandments. I've used your name in vain. I've fallen short of your glory. Oh Lord, I'm going insane. I thought I had a pure heart, but my heart is so wicked compared to yours. Oh, can you create a pure heart in me? Is there any help out there? Because my heart right now is a heart of flaws. Oh, Jesus, may you cleanse me and give me a pure heart. And if it's possible, renew a right spirit within me. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For they will see God. For they will see God. To be pure, what does that really mean? Do I need special water to get my hands cleaned? A pure heart only comes from a pure God. If this is news for you, then tell your whole squad. Jesus Christ, he's the one that can give you a pure heart. It's not a man thing, 
it's a God thing all the way from the start. No need for special water. No need to try and be good. Just repent, put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ who is good. As we obey the truth, it purifies us. It purifies ourselves and as we walk with the Holy Spirit, we don't walk by ourselves. The more we get to know him, the more we can continue to seek him. The more we, the more we, the more we understand him, abide in him, the more we can demonstrate him. You see, it's so true. Gradually, eventually, and even daily, we will see God in this life on earth and in the life beyond. Seeing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, our hearts will be full of joy in and out of season. And this is why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, for they will see God, for we will see God. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, for that wonderful spoken word presentation along the lines of our text for today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we invite the Holy Spirit fresh into our hearts today that we might see the beauty, the splendor, the glory of Jesus Christ and that we might move towards that great hope, that great vision of being able to see God face to face, not just by faith, but finally in reality, in the future life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know that your vision for God increases the more your heart is fully focused on him? Today I want to show you how to direct the thoughts and intentions of your inner life towards the Lord. We don't just want to work on surface issues, but to allow the Holy Spirit deep access to operate beneath the surface of our lives in our heart. And this prepares you for the joy of seeing more of Jesus even in this life and all the more in the new heavens and in the new earth when we will see him face to face. That hymn we've just sung, It Is Well With My Soul, carries a remarkable story. That beautiful hymn that has blessed people, given people the understanding of laying hold of God's peace during times of difficulty and even tragedy was written out of a tragic experience. Horatio Spafford lost his four children, and there were other tragedies before that and after that. We'll talk more about him later. But then he lost his four daughters at sea and went to the very spot where the ship had gone down and wrote this hymn. 
Here is a man who did not just find comfort in times of tragedy, but a man whose life was founded upon the reality of an encounter with God. He knew what it was to know God and to see God as he is in reality. And this is what carried him through. Today we're looking at the characteristics of a pure heart. And there are several I want to share with you. A pure heart is a heart full of peace. Peaceful heart. At rest. A still heart. Peace. And a pure heart is also a heart that is focused, fully focused on the Lord. It's also a heart that is clean, cleansed, an ongoing experience of purity. And then a pure heart is blessed with an amazing promise. Peaceful, focused, clean and blessed. A pure heart, first of all, then, is a peaceful heart. We just sang those words, pardon for sin and a peace that endures. This is the foundation of all spiritual life. It's the foundation of building a life of purity in a heart that is focused on God. A peaceful heart. Jesus promised us his peace. This was his Heritage. This was his legacy. He bequeathed us his peace. John 14, verses 1 to 3. In the intimacy of the upper room, Jesus speaks this word of strength and encouragement. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see what he's saying here? The peace that Jesus gives is the peace of having a guaranteed place in the Father's house. A place prepared for you in the new heavens and in the new earth forever. Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this is a peace that the world cannot give, the world cannot give it, the world can't take it away. It's the greatest peace of all. It's peace with God. And that's the only thing that can settle your heart, still your heart, so that you can fully focus on the Lord, free from troubling distractions, a way to work through and to travel through the deepest storms, the most tragic circumstances of your life. Now where does this peace come from? How does it come about? The Apostle Paul explains, Romans 5 verse 1, he, he shows the foundation of this peace. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You can't work your way into this. You can't manufacture this. You can't get it anywhere else other than the knowledge that God has declared you righteous, though you were guilty. He declares you righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And then you have this enormous, life-changing sense of peace. Only that peace can enable you to be still when the storms come, when the storms rage around you, or when the storms rage within you. Only then can you be at peace like Jesus was in the midst of the storm, asleep in the boat, at peace and at rest. So this is what it means to have a peace-filled heart, a heart that is at rest. But it also means that you have a whole heart. A peaceful heart is a heart that's healed, made whole. The Hebrew word shalom, peace, one of its meanings is wholeness. An unhealed heart is a closed heart. It cannot hear. It cannot see God. It cannot receive the things of God. But a healed heart can be sensitive to God and can discern the presence of God and is ready to capture a vision of God that will carry you through right until that day. I spoke earlier about being confronted with the reality of God. One of the greatest needs of the hour is for people, men and women who are coming to faith, to do so out of a reality, a real experience of meeting God and understanding who he really is. The prophet Isaiah, you may recall, had ministered for quite some time. We don't know exactly how long, but he'd been called and, and, and he was preaching and prophesying. But one day something happened that would transform his life and transform his ministry. He had a vision of the Lord and his glory seated upon a throne and with the train of his temple, of his robe, filling the temple. And the house was filled with a glorious smoke. And this was the glory of the Lord. And he heard the sound of the seraphim repeating over and over again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Heaven and earth is full of your glory. His reaction when confronted with the reality of God was to cry out, Woe is me, I'm undone. But God soon did him up again. And this brokenness, when he was shocked, even as a preacher, shocked at the reality of who God is. Our nation needs a fresh revelation of who God really is. Only then will we have the foundation to live a life that glorifies God. One of the things that concerns me about people today in general is that many people say they come to Christ, they might pray a prayer of salvation, but they have never met God. They've never been confronted with the reality of who God is. And therefore their conversion is superficial. It's shallow. But when you are truly born again, you meet God, you know God, and your heart is healed. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul spent so much time ministering to his spiritual son, Timothy. He was obviously preparing young Timothy, whom he'd led to the Lord, to be his successor. 
But Timothy wasn't quite like the Apostle Paul. He had a very different temperament, a very different personality. He was sensitive, um, was often overcome by pressures, and was struggling. So Paul writes a fatherly pastoral letter, in fact two of them, to encourage Tim Timothy and to strengthen him. And we're just going to go to the first verse, or the second verse, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. I want you to notice how he addresses Timothy. Every word is carefully chosen. It may look to you like a, a kind of standard type of greeting. We read many times in the letters that are written at this period, words such as these, but listen to them. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We find here a few references, but this is one of the few references where the three words of greeting are combined. We know even today in Israel, shalom is a greeting. He brings all these three greetings together, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, the goodness and blessing of God. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, judgment and condemnation. And the result is peace. So he's saying, Timothy, reflect on the grace that God has given you, the mercy he's shown to you, and dwell in the healing presence and knowledge of peace. And because of this, we can focus on the Lord. Let's go back to Horatio Spafford. He and his wife, Anna, came from a, a well-to-do family in Chicago. Horatio was a lawyer, a Christian lawyer, a businessman, a man who supported Christian work. He was a well-known supporter of the evangelists Moody and Sankey. And yet, he hit tragedy. In 1871, they lost their four-year-old son. The same year, the Chicago fire destroyed their property assets, and after that, there came an economic downturn in which he was almost ruined. In 1873, they decided to take a break, recuperate as a family, travel across the Atlantic, and join Moody and Sankey, the two great evangelists of the 1800s, in their European tour. But at the last minute, Horatio had to stay back because of business, so he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead of him, going to join them in a few days' time. But what nobody knew was at mid-Atlantic, that ship would strike another ship and would sink in 12 minutes. All the children were drowned. Just Anna was saved. She sent a telegram back saying, saved alone, what shall I do? Well, Horatio hurried across the Atlantic on the next available ship. When they got to the spot where the captain calculated the previous ship had gone down, he called Horatio and said, by my calculations, this is where your children perished. 
So he went over the edge of the ship, looked out across the waters, knowing it was three miles deep, and said to himself, my children are not down there. They're safe with Jesus. Then he shut himself in his cabin and wrote the hymn, the words to the hymn that we've just sung. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you've taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. There might be no coming back from that for many people. Need to know after that they lost another son, tragedy after tragedy, but they determined that before these tragedies they had many reasons to be good and faithful. After these tragedies they say, even so, all this has happened, but even so, it is well with my soul. And they said, we are not going to put our focus on these external experiences. We're not going to be fair weather friends of God. We're going to continue to love God and to serve him. And they ended up in Jerusalem where they served in the old city, taking care of the poor, the needy, the sick, and the homeless. They were faithful because their relationship with Jesus was grounded in peace with God. How amazing. How wonderful. You know, it is said of the generation of Jews in Jesus' day, they were looking for a Messiah that would deliver them from Rome, not from their sins. And for us today, it's said that our generation today is looking for a Messiah that will give them the good life, not the God life. Well, if you have peace with God, you have your perspective right and your heart is orientated in the right way. Pure heart is a peaceful heart. But it's also a focused heart because it's passionate towards God. You see, somebody who has peace with God will know just how gracious God has been. If he numbered our sins, none of us would stand. But this enormous burden has been lifted. This great burden of sin has been forgiven. And Jesus said, he that's been forgiven much, loves much. And the problem today, we don't love God very much because we don't know how much he's forgiven us. We've never passed through this experience of deep conviction of sin when we know that there's only one reason that we can ever call upon the name of the Lord as Savior is because we have sinned and offended a holy God, but he has been so merciful to us in Christ. That's what true conversion is all about. Not just asking Jesus into your heart so you'll have a happy life. No. Recognizing that you need to be saved and that Jesus will rescue you from a Christless eternity by his mercy and grace because you know that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
So you see, a pure heart is focused because it's grateful. If somebody forgave you a five pound debt, you might say thank you. A 20 pound debt, you might say double thank you. But a 20 million pound bet, you'll kiss their feet and say thank you for a very long time. So when we understand the gratitude that overflows from knowing we are right with God, he could have left us perish, but he rescued us by his mercy and grace, given us his peace, and we are so grateful. So grateful. And because of that, we can focus. We can focus. A distracted heart can't focus on God. We lay aside the distractions, the anxieties. We sit at the feet of Jesus. We, we choose Mary's way, not Martha's way. Remember, Martha was busy in the kitchen fussing around things and said, tell, your, uh, tell my sister to come and help me wash up. Jesus said, no. She's chosen the better part. And you are troubled and worried and distracted about many things. But a pure heart is a heart that is focused on the Lord. Singleness of heart, focusing on the one thing that really matters, seeking the face of God. Is that your priority? Is that your last thought at night? Your first thought in the morning? You are focused on God because you are attracted to him. You're so grateful to him. Psalm 27 verse 4 puts it this way. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Isaiah prophesied of the coming of Messiah and put it this way. There was no beauty in him, no form, no comeliness about him that would attract us. In, in fact, he was despised and rejected. And we hid our faces from him. That's the normal reaction of the human heart. But then something happens. The Holy Spirit comes and opens our eyes to the beauty of Jesus to the sublime attraction of God himself. And this kindles a passion so that the other passions that preoccupied us, many of them just fall away and disappear. But those that don't and stay with us, those passions that we struggle with every day, what do we do with them? Well, we expel them by the power of a greater passion, a superior passion that displaces all other passions. When you're looking at the Lord, you have no eyes for anyone or anything else but Jesus only. That's the secret of spiritual growth. When you see Jesus and you say, He is all that I need, God is enough. So a peaceful heart, a focused heart, but also a clean heart. Everywhere in the Bible it makes it clear that cleansing from sin is a prerequisite for fellowship with God. 
He is the absolute holy God. That's why in the Old Testament God taught us this principle by introducing Old Testament rituals showing only the pure and the cleansed can approach God. There were washings, there was dietary laws that distinguished between clean and unclean. There was special clothing for the priesthood setting apart to their priestly office through the sprinkling of blood and through the anointing of oil. All these things are a picture of what Jesus did to prepare you for the presence of God. And it all comes together in what the Bible calls being born again. Receiving a new heart that has been cleansed and purified in fulfillment of the prophet Ezekiel's words in 36, 25, chapter 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from your idols I will cleanse you. Now with that new heart, that cleansed heart, you can begin to take your part, your responsibility, in purifying your life. It's not just what God has done for you, separating yourself unto himself. You also need to respond by separating yourself from sin so that you can focus fully on the Lord. Psalm 24 verses 3 to 6 asks these questions. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Cleanse from your idols. You see, idols are the things in your heart that compete with your love for God. Cleanse yourself from idols. Do not lift up your soul to what is false. And this is so interesting because many people say, I'm trusting Jesus. But when something goes wrong at work, you find they weren't trusting Jesus at all. Their security, their significance, their sense of self-worth, not in God, but in these other things. Just see what happens when some of those things fail and you will find people's faith crumbling. God, I, I trusted you, you've let me down. And some even make shipwreck of their faith because they've been trusting in things other than God himself and the things he chooses to provide. That's why the Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We are prone to chase other things. Anything that is more important in your life, anything that you're trusting in more than you're trusting in God is an idol and you need to be cleansed from it. So, genuine inner purity is the purity that doesn't come from outward observance of religion or performance or behavior, but comes when the Holy Spirit cleanses your heart and when you separate yourself from sin and follow Jesus Christ from faith, not from fear, 
but from faith. By faith and not by works. By, by love and not by fear. So, a pure heart is peaceful. It's focused fully on the Lord with great passion. It's clean both by the blood of Jesus and our own separation from sin. And it is blessed. A pure heart is a blessed heart. And the blessing? They shall see God. There are many promises and many blessings and rewards laid up for the righteous. But when you look at them all, really they only come down to one thing. God promises many things, but in the end it boils down to one thing. He promises you himself. That's the greatest of all. And this is expressed in our text by Jesus' promise of the vision of God. A vision so pure, so full, so complete, that it will be the ultimate joy and happiness of any human heart. They call this the beatific vision. Same word as beatitudes. In other words, it's the most blessed vision of all. That is the ultimate joy and unsurpassing happiness that comes from seeing God face to face. We cannot even imagine it. Now we see by faith and we're excited by what we see, but then we're going to see face by face and it's unimaginable the joy, the ecstasy, the fulfillment that will be when we see Jesus face to face. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. See the mirrors of those days weren't clear like the mirrors of today like polished metal or brass and you really it wasn't that clear you had a bit of a reflection but not that clear. Now we see dimly this is our life of faith we see by faith and we see dimly but then we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And this vision is not just gazing and gawking, this vision is transformational. We are being changed as we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus. And we shall be changed when we see him face to face. Seeing Jesus is transformational. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Seeing Jesus is the true secret of transformation of heart. Verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. So purity of heart causes you to see God. Seeing God gives you more purity of heart. And this is how not to make shipwreck of your faith, but to be sure that you will see God. A lot of shipwrecks in the sermon today. 
Let's go to the mother of all those shipwrecks, the Titanic. This luxury passenger liner sunk on her maiden voyage in the evening between the 14th and 15th of April, 1912. The ship was constructed in a way that was said to be unsinkable. It had 16 watertight compartments, so if one compartment flooded, the whole ship would not flood. She was unsinkable. Certainly, they had confidence if four were breached, the ship wouldn't sink. Well, that day, five compartments were breached after contact with the iceberg. Most of the damage was beneath the surface. What was the deciding factor in taking the ship down was that those compartments, when the ship began to sink, caused water to pass from one to the other to the other and the ship broke in two and then finally went straight down. We could look at many reasons why the Titanic uh, 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 sank, the speed at which it was traveling, the carelessness with regard to the iceberg part of the ocean, the lack of binoculars up there in the bridge, the fact that they canceled a safety practice to see what it was like to evacuate in case of emergency. And also, deep down in the hull, the rivets that joined the ship together were weak and inferior. All that contributed to the tragedy. This is a lesson. Don't be superficial. Deal with the beneath the surface stuff. Make sure that there's no weakness which can survive for a while but then when something serious hits your life, the weakness manifests. Don't compartmentalize your life to get security. I'm okay, I'm unsinkable because my life is in different compartments, my home life, my family life, my recreational life, my church life, and my Jesus life. And then to live in different ways, in different compartments, because you see, we are integral beings. The integrity of that hull was breached. And integrity is about understanding we are integral units, that what happens in one part of our life affects every other part of our life. That's why we must have a heart that is fully focused on the Lord and geared towards seeing him in all his glory. And that's the promise. We shall see him. I want you to remember that Jesus here isn't talking about how to get saved or even how to keep your salvation or even how to be sure you are saved. You are saved by faith in Christ and by faith alone. Your trust in Christ guarantees that you will see him on that day. But there are degrees of honor 
in heaven. Did you know that? There are the greater and the lesser in the kingdom of God. And this appears to be based on reward, glory. There are degrees of bliss in heaven. And all of this depends on your obedience, your faithfulness, and how you overcome here on the earth. What if, what if, your intimacy and proximate knowledge of Christ here on earth determines for all eternity your intimacy and proximity to the throne of God in heaven. People put these two preachers in the great evangelical revival of the 1700s here in the United Kingdom, Wesley and Whitfield. They're different theology in a way. Whitfield's supporters said to him one day, do you believe you will see Wesley in heaven? And Whitfield said, no, I don't believe I will see him for one minute. And they thought he was criticizing Wesley. He said, no, he will be so close to the throne and I will be so far back, I won't have a chance of seeing him. What if your closeness to Christ on earth somehow will be reflected forever in heaven? I want to go for gold. I want to see the Lord fully and to reveal everything that he has for me. Certainly, the depth of your vision of God does depend on the depth of your pursuit of God and the depth of your obedience to God. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart is peaceful, founded in relationship with Christ. It's focused, full of passion for Jesus, coming out of gratitude and attraction. To him. It is clean, cleansed by the blood and cleansed by our obedience. And it is blessed with the greatest blessing imaginable, imaginable to humanity. They shall see God face to face. That's the invitation of Jesus to you today.